say you're, you're right there with me because I, I really feel if, if, if I have some issues in my life that I need to get right and I need to get American culture out of my Christianity, then maybe there's some of you out there that, that need to hear this as well. And so I'd like to take you to uh, Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 23 through 25 is where we'll start off, and then we'll drop down in the passage a little bit later. Um, so if you go with me to chapter 9, verse 23, and it says this, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." But I say to you, truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, these are, these are some tough words that have come from your son's mouth. And because they have come from your son's mouth, I think we need to hear them. I, need, I know we need to obey them. And Father, sometimes we find that hard because... We've embraced our culture so much. Help us to get our culture out of our Christianity. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen. Um, so this passage, what it's really saying is this. It's, it's saying goodbye to ourselves. Uh, anybody ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay. The Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian during the Nazi reign in Germany. Um, there's a quote here that I'd like to say. It's a real short quote, but he, he, he quotes, I'm quoting it from the book, The Cost of Discipleship. If you ever have an opportunity to pick up a, uh, a Bible book, or, uh, this would be one to, to pick up, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It will challenge you. But the, he says in that book, he says this, when Christ calls a man and, you know, a woman, so when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and what? Die. He comes him, he, he bids him to come and die. And in that essence, that's exactly what Jesus tells his followers they need to be willing to do as followers of Jesus Christ. If they're going to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, see, we're being called to deny ourselves. And why is that? Well, First of all, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He denied himself. He emptied himself of his rights and his position. He condescended to us to serve us. He emptied himself of his rights and his position to make right what we could not make right before God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I, I really don't think that we can grasp all that that meant for Jesus Christ. 
to, be, to empty himself of his rights as God to come down and serve us. See, we understand it from an intellectual standpoint from what we've read that he did come to earth to do what he did for us. Um, that he became a man. Just think about that just for a minute. God decided he was going to become a man so much lower to be able to serve you or I. And then, hold it, he suffered on your behalf. Think about that for a minute. God was willing to suffer for you and I. When it, you know, in reality, it, it was within his rights not to do so. He didn't have to do what he did for us. God was willing to suffer, but guess what? One more thing happened. He then what? What did he do, everyone? He died for us. He died for us. Now, praise the Lord, he's not still in the grave. That's what makes him different than any other prophet. Right? He's risen. He's, he's alive. We don't serve a, a dead God. Just think of that for a minute. Let it sink in. He did all of that so that you and I could enjoy the heavenly rewards that are yet to come. You see, you cannot serve others until we say goodbye to ourselves. You realize that? Why should we do that? Well, number one, Jesus modeled it. If, you are to, if you're going to focus on your, your life and you're number one in your estimation, you will be useless for the cause of Christ. You will be useless for the kingdom of God. Period. Now, according to verse 23 of our passage, let's go back there. It says this, and it says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, Jesus himself says we need to deny ourselves and, and then do what he did, pick up his cross in order to follow him. Now, to really get an understanding of what, what that means, we need to consider what it meant for somebody to pick up their cross. <clears throat> what, was, what was the cross? What did it mean for somebody to pick up a cross? I think we all know the cross was an actual object of death. It was a form of execution. And you know what? If you remember Jesus' uh, the account of Jesus' crucifixion, before he was even nailed to that that, that object of death to the cross, he was scourged and then he was given the burden of having to carry that across town to the place of his execution, which was Golgotha, the place of the skull. Now when somebody picked up the cross, you know, even departing from Jesus' um, act of love, anyone who had to pick up the Roman cross, guess what happened? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, along the way he, he could get a reprieve or somebody would take his place or that type of thing. If, if, if a guy or a woman picked up their cross, guess what happened? They were going to die. They were going to die. They were going to give up their life. The accused were given the task of carrying their cross as a further act of humiliation. 
You know, on the way across town, uh, people would line the streets. Uh, they would cast insults. They would curse the accused. They'd spit on them and sometimes uh, even throw stones at them. And Jesus experienced all of that, didn't he? So in light of all this, what is it that Jesus is telling us in verse 23 when he says that as a follower, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to be able to daily pick up your cross. Now obviously he's not telling us to literally you know, pick up a cross beam of wood, throw it over your shoulder, wander around town and, and in toting it from one place or another. But what he is saying is this, is that we should have the same attitude as Christ, a willingness to face anything Anything, including death, for Jesus and the kingdom. Are you willing to do that? <coughs> Excuse me. Are you willing to do that? Because according to the scriptures here, that's what a follower of Jesus Christ has signed up to do, is to be willing to do anything for the cause of our Savior, the one who loved us, who did go to the cross, who died for us, who rose from the grave so that we too could have life if we just give up our life, deny ourselves, and follow him. See, the disciples had already left jobs and family. Uh, they were facing dangers to follow and obey Jesus. And so if following Jesus means losing some things and denying yourself, you know what it might mean for us? It might mean we lose our job because we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to actually act like a Christian. We're not going to cheat somebody that's placed an order. Or we might not get the job that we want because we go to church. We worship God. But if we did, if we lost a job or if we didn't get the job, would we still follow him? If following Jesus meant that close relationships become estranged, would we still follow him? If following Jesus meant that I can't engage in drunkenness, will I still follow Jesus? If it means that my spouse wants to leave me because I love and follow Jesus, will I still follow him? If I'm thrown in jail for worshiping Jesus, the way I'm told to in Scripture, the government just wants to throw away the key to make an example of us. Would we still follow Jesus? Do you see what I'm getting at? This is the true cost of discipleship. You know, we are not called to a life of comfort and ease. You know, Jesus and the disciples didn't experience comfort and ease. And, and so why, why do we think we should? So the next question is this. Are we willing to leave a life of comfort to follow Jesus if we were called to? I want you to drop down to the same chapter. Drop down to verse 57, if you would, please. This next passage um, that we're going to read comes out of a context that you need to know. The context is um, an argument that the disciples were having. Um, they were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. You know, hey, uh, you know, I think John, he's, you know, he's, he's been pretty good. No, uh, Peter, he's, he's, got, he's got a witness. No, uh, no, I think I should. Do you think the disciples were really getting it at this point? Did the disciples really get the idea of what true discipleship was all about? Not yet. Now, 
a little bit further on, we see that the disciples finally got it. Because all of them, with the exception of John, ended up giving up their lives to follow Jesus. Now, you and I may never be asked to give up our life to follow Jesus. But the question is, are you willing to? See, it's the heart attitude that he's, willing, uh, that he's concerned about. Are we willing to pay the ultimate price? Are we willing to lose our jobs? Are we li- willing to lose our relationships because of Jesus Christ? Let's go ahead and read uh, verse 57. It says this, And as they were going along the road, this was after that argument, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Well, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but guess what? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Permit me first to go and bury my father. Now let me clarify something before we go on to the next next verse. Most theologians agree that this this probably is not, his father's probably not dead waiting to be buried. Um, you know, the, there was Jewish law that, that did not permit, you know, just letting the dead just, just wait. They, there was an immediate burial afterwards. Which most theologians uh, agree on is that uh, this guy probably had a father that was sick and ill and probably was going to die soon. And so what the guy was, in, in essence, saying is this. Hey, can we, uh, I'm going to follow you, but let me wait until my, my, my father passes away. The, yeah, I know you're important, but just hold on. Uh, they're really important. Do you see what's going on here? So there was a waiting period. The guy would have to die, and then he'd bury him. And, th- and then I'm okay to follow you, Jesus. So I just wanted to explain that. Sometimes, sometimes we glance over this, I'm like, man, that's pretty crude. Verse 60, it says, But he said, Jesus said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. See, in this passage, Jesus basically gives three different scenarios to communicate one main point, and that's this. That following Jesus will cause discomfort. It will. It's not comfortable to not have a permanent place to sleep. It's not comfortable to put the gospel over family issues. It's not comfortable to leave those that you love. But the point is this, following Jesus does not guarantee ease in life, ladies and gentlemen. Contrary to popular belief. But we still need to, as verse 60 says, and let's go back to verse 60, says, it says this, but he said to him, allow the, bur- the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere, what? The kingdom of God. That's the priority. That's what we become followers of Jesus Christ for. It's not, oh, first let me, or first let me, or first let you. It's Jesus first, and what he's called us to do is the kingdom of God.
The gospel is of the utmost importance in Jesus' mind. You know, what Jesus wants his followers to know is that following him in obedience to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ will come at an expense of almost everything in life. Even the things we care deeply for. See, that's, that's what Jesus is teaching here. Let me ask you a question. Does that make you uncomfortable? I'm stepping on my own toes here too. Okay, did you feel your toe? Did you get it? I'm feeling uncomfortable as well. It, it, prob it probably makes us feel uncomfortable because our American dream, our American dream mindset of self-advancement and self-esteem and self-sufficiency by individual materialism, universalism, has really caused us to unknowingly embrace the values and ideas that are common in our culture that run contrary to what Jesus and the disciples actually taught and lived. <clears throat> I think the implication here is this. We need to really evaluate ourselves. We need to evaluate what we really believe. Who is it that I really am following? Am I following a biblical Jesus or am I following an Americanized Jesus? Because if we're following an Americanized Jesus, we have become ineffective. Do we spend our money on things that contribute towards our comfort and ease rather than using the money for people in need? The furtherance of the gospel, the development of Christian spiritual lives? Have we as a church or in our individual lives spent more time thinking about our physical well-being than somebody's spiritual well-being? Do we fret over buildings and budgets rather than missions and outreach? Do we physically work out for hours, you know, pumping weights and spend meager minutes in God's Word? Has something happened to our own efforts in personal evangelism when, when we're at home talking with our neighbors out having tea or coffee? Has the church ceased preparing people to mobilize for the mission field, whether it's here or abroad? If this is our case, we are following an American Jesus and not a biblical Jesus. David Platt in his book also writes, he says this, we need to return with urgency to a biblical gospel because the cost of not doing so is so great for our lives, our families, and our world. And you know what? I'd have to agree with him. I'd have to agree with him. Who we truly follow determines where and with whom we will actually arrive. The question then is this. Are we following the Jesus of the Bible or are we following a Jesus that makes me feel good and comfortable? If we are, though, in fact steadfast, steely focus in love for Jesus, and we find, uh, you know, the Jesus that we actually find here in, in scriptures, there's good news. There is great benefit and re reward awaiting us. Let me take you to verse 24. Back up to 24. Verse 24, just to remind you, said this, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake he is the one who, what? what's it say? He will save it. <clears throat> See, there is reward in denying yourself. 
Okay, it's not just about self-punishment or not giving myself this or not giving myself that. It's, it's with purpose. <clears throat> and there is reward. You know, this verse kind of seems contradictory, right? I, I gain life by losing it. I'm saved by losing it. But that's exactly the point. It's, it is what Jesus has modeled for us, and it's the principle for which his disciples are to live. It's the attitude of putting ourselves second in regards to Jesus. If there's something I want, it comes only after what Jesus wants. Or if Jesus says no, then this type of attitude would concede to his wishes and said, okay, he says no. Okay, I got to take no because I love him. See, this verse also tells us that if we wish to have primacy in our relationship with Jesus, we will lose our lives. See, this, this verse, this is really talking about eternal life and eternal death. It's talking about heaven or hell. <clears throat> See, when we lose our lives, that loss is eternal separation from God himself. But the great reward of being willing to put, be put second and put Jesus Christ first is an eternal presence with God himself. Now, who doesn't want that? You, you're willing to do whatever it takes for that? It's totally worth it, right? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> this uh, concept, by the way, of, of self-denial that, that has reward, it, it actually permeates all of the New Testament. I'd like to take you to Matthew. If you turn with me to Matthew 19, just real quick. <clears throat> Matthew 19, uh, we're going to pick up our reading in verse uh, 28. So Matthew 19, verse 28, and I, I guess I told you too late. Stick your, keep your finger in John because we're going back there. Or not John, but Luke. Okay, verse 28 says this in Matthew. It says, um, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will also sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now specifically he's talking to the disciples here and so the disciples will have a special place in ruling in, in the kingdom. But look at what the ver next verse says. Verse 29 says and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive rewards, shall receive many times as much, and shall inherit eternal life. Shall eternal, shall in, inherit eternal life. I'm, I'm willing to sign up for that. Are you? Eternal life, that's good. But you know what the problem is here in America? The issue that most people balk at when considering putting Jesus first is the idea of delayed, gratis, delayed gratification. Because we're a microwave society, aren't we? You know, we're the only society who would stand in front of the microwave and say, I can't believe it's taking this long. Give me a break. You know, there's people where they got to chop the tree down. They got to put fire in the wood, you know, go down to a river. Get the, You understand what I'm talking about? See, we see... You see our rewards like those spoken of here in Matthew? 
we won't get while we're here on earth, but rather when we're standing before our God. But you see, we're an impatient people. Waiting does not appeal to the American mindset, does it? How many of you like to stand in line? Oh, I love it. I can't wait to go to the DMV. You've been there, right? That's why you're chuckling. You've gone through it. Everyone wants rewards, don't we? But it's the waiting for them that we hate. But isn't life better than death? Isn't eternal life better than eternal separation from God? Amen. It should be a more a, a no-brainer, shouldn't it? But it doesn't seem that way when we start looking and evaluate churches and individual our own individual lives. When we evaluate the status of the American church or, the, or American Christianity, we see something different. See, if we were to take a look, we see millions of dollars being poured into buildings and programs, but fewer people heading into ministry. Did you realize it takes on the average nowadays about four years to get a missionary to the field? About 50 to 100 years ago, there was more money to send a missionary there than there was qualified candidates. <clears throat> Something's happened. There's been a flip-flop. Nowadays, it takes four years for somebody to go, hey, I'm willing to, to, to go to such and such place with the gospel of Jesus Christ to talk about Christ and see people get saved. Would you like to jump in with me and help me finance that? Because I can't get there without some help. And there's a penny that drops rather than bills and dollars. And See, our American, our American Christianity is not biblical Christianity. If it were, it'd be like 50 to 100 years ago. Or even better, let's go back to biblical times. We've departed. And so, what, I'd what would I like you to walk away with today? I know this is, <clears throat> again, I know this was stepping on toes. It, it, was, it made me uncomfortable when I was studying the passages. I'm going, oh man, is, is this my attitude or do I like my comforts? How many of you guys like comforts? Come on, let's be real. Yeah, you like your comforts. I like my comforts. It's uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't like it very much. We don't. See, our depraved part of us, that sinful part of us, doesn't want to be made uncomfortable. But if you're made uncomfortable, you'll move. You realize that? If you're comfortable, you'll sit. If you're uncomfortable, you'll move and you'll do something. That's what we're being called to, ladies and gentlemen. So here's a couple things I'd like you to think about as we walk from here. First, I think we need to consider the person who we say we are following. See, if we consider it, it's Jesus Christ. He's the God of this universe. He loved us so much to come and do what he did for us. Wow. When we consider that kind of guy, man, I, you know what? I'm more willing to do anything for Jesus Christ, Right? So we need to get know. It's by getting to know him and what he's done for us that motivates us to continue to love him and follow him. 
And this has to be done on a daily basis. What did verse 23 say? How many times do you have to pick up your cross? Every day. It says daily. The process of following the taking up your cross is a daily exercise. What you did yesterday no longer matters. Guess what? It's what, what you do today that matters. You don't even know if you have tomorrow. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34 says this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And we can all say amen to that, right? Second thing I'd like you to kind of walk out with is this. It is absolutely necessary, as we look at the statements of Jesus, to then take a look at our lives. You know, do some evaluation individually or corporately, corporately as a church. Are we doing things Jesus, the biblical Jesus way, or are we doing it in an American Jesus way? Because if we're doing it the American Jesus way, then we're not doing it for him, we're doing it for ourselves. Lastly, this is what I'd like you to kind of take away. If you have identified within yourself a tendency to shape Jesus into your image rather than to, to be shaped into his image, make the changes you need to make. You see, it's easy to say you have a problem. It's hard to do something about it. I can, I can give lip service to, yeah, I got this issue, I got this issue, but what does that matter if I don't respond to it? Make sense? I'm telling you, this really, it, this was tough for me to put together because it was stepping on my toes. But guess what? You know what the nice part is? According to 1 Corinthians 15, we're not in this on our own. Jesus said he'd walk with us. He gave you the Holy Spirit to help you make, make it happen. Be willing to de deny yourself. You see, that takes supernatural power because our own power wants to take care of ourselves, us first. Jesus is calling us to something better and greater. But we can't do that on ourselves. We need to go to him for it, and guess what? We need one another. We're told that we're to bear one another's burdens, right? That includes, I think, as well as pointing out issues in one another's lives. Now, listen, I'm sure you can find trouble in everybody's lives, and you can go around pointing fingers. That's not the idea. The idea is that you, you have somebody you care about so much that you, when you see something that's self-destructive, you're willing to say something about it. Does that make sense? See, we're not supposed to be just throwing darts. We're supposed to be throwing syringes. A syringe has an element of cure to it, right? It pokes, it hurts a little bit, but it's supposed to make you better on the other side. So ladies and gentlemen, did this make you uncomfortable? I hope it did, because we won't move, we won't change unless it does. It made me uncomfortable. It, it, when I was standing up here and thinking about preaching to you guys today, I was thinking, man, I don't want to be a hypocrite <laughs> just to preach something and not do it in my own life. So let's be uncomfortable together. Let's, let's love one another enough to help one another, pray for one another. Um, you have close friends here in church. Help, uh, you know, 
If there's something that you're seeing and you just you didn't want to rock the boat, it's time to rock the boat a little bit for the good of the kingdom of God. Amen? Now let's go to prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity you have given us to be challenged in this way. Father, this was uncomfortable. And uh, Father, we just we need to be moved to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. So help us to do that. We can't do it on our own. I pray that you bring others alongside of us to help us do that and we can vice versa do the same to them. So Father, we thank you for this time together. We pray that what was done and what was said was glorifying to you and not to ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.